It's the Paddle Podcast. Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Paddle Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show, super excited, always excited, very excited today though, Eric Goodman. Eric is a return guest. He is one of my favorite human beings. He is the creator of something that changed my life, which is called Foundation Training. Foundation training is an exercise philosophy, uh, and it focuses on core strength. And you need to listen to the episode because your idea of what core strength is and what true core strength is, probably not the same thing. So listen to the episode and learn from Eric. I promise you, of all the episodes that I've done, this will help the most people. It helped me incredibly. Um, Thought I was going to have spinal fusion surgery about 10 years ago, met Eric, and now that is an afterthought. So uh, I appreciate Eric coming back on the show. He just released a new book called True to Form, True to Form, and I will have a link to that in the show notes. All right, before we hop into the podcast, a couple cool things. Uh, Eric and I have been friends for a long time. We have talked for years about the fact that it would be fun to do something here in Costa Rica, Nassara together, and that looks like it's going to be happening. So if you like the show, if you want to learn more from Eric, if you want to come down and surf in Costa Rica or learn surfing in Costa Rica, we will be putting together a joint foundation training slash paddlewood retreat in 2017. Uh, and it's going to be limited in space, probably limited to eight people. So shoot me an email, E-R-I-K at paddlewoo, P-A-D-D-L-E-W-O-O.com, and get on the list for that retreat that will happen in 2017. I can't wait. That's going to be, it's going to be incredible. Um, the progression journal, if you're not following it, you would probably like it if you're on the journey to become a better paddle surfer. I am journaling the process uh, of deliberate practice been doing it now probably almost 50 entries so far and i'm getting incredibly solid feedback from people that are reading and following along trying what i'm trying and sending me information about what's working for them what's not it's been a beautiful process i'm i'm truly enjoying it and i hope that you guys are as well so um don't forget you can get a discount on 27 north paddles by using the code paddlewoo p-a-d-d-l-e-w-o-o uh, so head on over to 27northusa.com to get that discount. And let's jump into the show. Today's guest, Eric Goodman, the creator of Foundation Training. Eric Goodman, thank you very much for being on the show today. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I am a huge fan of you and of Foundation Training, and I'm very excited to share your teachings with all the folks that'll be listening to this show. Um, to get us started off, can you give us an overview of what foundation training is and who it helps? Absolutely. It helps a lot of people. Uh, that's That's been the coolest thing. Uh, and it, it seems to keep helping people for quite a long time, which is actually even even better than it helping people. But what it is, is just a basic body weight training program. It, it, it's in essence, strengthening and integrating the muscles of the posterior chain which sounds very simple, but there's there's some very specific steps to get there. And those steps are foundation training. Uh, they stabilize and strengthen the spine, stabilize and strengthen the hips, ankles, knees, shoulders, neck, all of the joints that sort of resist gravity and support our weight in space. They need to get stronger. They need to have support from the muscles that surround them and pull on them. And uh, what we do with foundation training is really deliberately train those muscles 
that support joints and keep us in what I call primary stability, which is the chains of muscles that surround our body, instead of secondary stability, which would be the joints and bones and ligaments that are more passive and restrictive of motion in nature, whereas muscles actually provide and create motion. Now, I should say here that Eric and I have known each other for probably going on seven or eight years. We have a close mutual friend, and I have a terrible back. And when I met Eric, I was actually interviewing spinal surgeons to, I thought I was going to have a fusion, a spinal fusion on my lower lumbar. And Eric was like, whoa, 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 hold on, try this for a little while. I had already gone through yoga and stretching and all sorts of other types of training. I'm an advocate uh, of, of all sorts of types of training, and nothing really worked for me. And then foundation training did. So I understand, and I am a big believer in what Eric does. And I, I thought I'd give a little bit of that sh- social proof here at the beginning to say that this has worked for me. I'm eight years away now from thinking that I was going to have spinal fusion and feeling way better than I did when, you know, almost a decade ago. So it's amazing. I love it. Um, what does the training look like? Can you explain it to folks who have not? Well, it's funny looking. I mean, we have like literally the slogan on the back of our t-shirts is I don't care what it looks like. It just feels good because it's a funny looking practice here. We're teaching people to, to take the center of gravity, which is the hips, the pubic symphysis looks like your butt and pull it behind you and retrain that central structure of the body to be strong, the hip joints. What it looks like is called pandiculation. If you want to Google pandiculation while you're listening to this, it could be pretty cool because what you're going to see is a bunch of animals very actively stretching their bodies, not passively or you know, sort of compartmentalized stretching like a hamstring or a, or a forearm or a tricep or a quad, but taking the entire body and sort of creating a pull from its central fulcrum, which is the hip joint. So that central fulcrum, the hip, is pulling backwards, loading the muscles on the backside of the body in almost every pose that we teach, whether it's from a lunge stance or from a standing stance with the feet parallel or laying down on the ground and not really pulling the hips back, but strengthening the muscles that surround them with these different extension and decompression poses. It's hard to explain exactly what it looks like with the exception of this kind of real simple term, which is stand up, put your body into the biggest and strongest and longest positions it can possibly get into, the end range of your largest joints, and hold them. And while you're holding them, breathe as deeply and expansively as you can, and you'll be close to what we do in foundation training. But if I teach you a little bit personally, or if you follow some videos or books or something like that, you'll be doing it a lot more accurately. Uh, and I will get into your book later, but I love your new book, True to Form. Thanks, yeah, Thank it's, it's a beautiful book. And I loved your first book too, but this one takes it to the next level. This All one's right. a lot better, man. It's a lot better. Like it's, I can't say enough about how hard I worked on this one. Oh, well, it's I'm deep. I, I appreciated it from the aspect of how deep you went into it. And, and I'm, I'm excited to have those conversations. But at the beginning of the show today, I want to talk about the beginnings of foundation training. I want to talk about you in school and then transitioning from what you were doing there, chiropractic school, into uh, discovering foundation training. Okay. Well, first, do you mind if I curse occasionally? No, I do not. Okay. Because <laughs> I was a fucking miserable chiropractic student. I hated going through school. I really... I don't know how else to explain it. I loved what I was learning. Loved it. 
but school was so uncomfortable for me. Always has been. Like, I'm not a very good student. I've never really been a, like a, an A student or anything like that. But if it was a subject that I loved, I'd get through. And that's how chiropractic was. I think that as I was going through chiropractic school, my body was fighting me. I was sitting so often, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a day in school. And then taking myself to like a coffee shop or to my house afterwards and studying for another three hours, <laughs> all the stuff I learned that day. And you don't realize it, but, but four or five days a week, six days a week, sitting down and studying for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours destroys your body. It builds your mind in the sense that you get an education and you learn some very interesting things, but it destroys your spine. It teaches your hips that they're meant to be rested on instead of used. And what happened is that four years of chiropractic school or three and three quarters years of chiropractic school was like a lesson in physical endurance of the wrong kind, not going and running a marathon, but how long can I sit on my ass and suffer while I'm supposedly learning? And not supposedly learning. Let me assure you, chiropractors have wonderful educations. By the time I was out of school, I was in enough pain that I was very angry at my profession because I was, I was an entitled kid in my head. I had gone through chiropractic school and therefore I knew how to get people out of pain. And damn it, I was supposed to be out of pain too. And you had but back problems at this point. I had such bad back problems, man. I, and, and I still have major back injury, but they don't hurt me anymore. But at that time, they hurt me really bad, and they would take me out for many weeks at a time, several times a year. And it had been happening since I was 19, and at that time, I was like, you know, 26, 27 years old, about to become a doctor. I was pissed. I was like, I, I can't describe it any other way than I, I spent my last two years of chiropractic school and the three years after that in such an angry place and such like a, Honestly, just a, I look at it now and I was whiny internally. I was so angry at what I was feeling that it manifested into a hatred of my profession and a jealousy of people that didn't have to feel it. And I'm not proud of like those sensations or those feelings, but I am very proud of what they turned into because it was that jealousy. It was that, that anger and frustration and sense of entitlement honestly. I wanted to feel better and I believed that I deserved to feel better. And I worked really hard at it for several years. And much like you, I avoided fusion surgery on my L4, L5 and L5 S1. And I don't know if I'm ever going to need it. I might, but I avoided it to this point, which is nearly 10 years now. I'm 35 and I've been doing this since I was 26, 27. So yeah, it's, that's, chiropractic school was a lesson in so many ways. So many ways. But the ultimate lesson was if you want to get better, you got to reach really deep down inside and figure it out. Or you got to find the people that have done that work and have figured it out for themselves. And they might be able to offer you some pieces of advice that your injury might be similar to, like, like happened in our situation, Eric. So you're in chiropractic school. Your back is killing you. You're miserable. You finish school. How does foundation training start from that point forward? It started first with these sort of repeatable sensations in my own body. I would extend my spine, which you learn in, in rehabilitation that extension should be avoided, but only if you're already extended, because then you hyperextend your spine. But in my case, I wasn't. I was very flexed at my spine. So what I found was these extension exercises 
Some of them were passive called McKenzie exercises. I, I recommend everybody that's listening, if you have any kind of pain, look into Robin McKenzie's work. Brilliant, brilliant person. But his exercises were a little bit more passive than I needed. So I would take his extension exercises and then I would teach my body how to hold them under my own weight. So if I was pressing up into like what you would see in yoga as a cobra pose, a more passive extension, I would then force my lower back to support that torso weight until it just could not do it anymore. And that gave me the first relief, the real first relief I had in years was the steady, continuous extension work at my lower spine. And what that became, God, over so many years, was the ability to maintain that form of extension and that, and have the endurance in my lower back to maintain extension in, in other positions, walking, running, biking. The recognition that by extending my spine, strengthening my spinal erector muscles, strengthening my multifidi muscles, ultimately strengthening my entire spine, I felt better. I didn't feel a little bit better. I felt better enough that I wanted to tell everybody that was in pain how they could feel better. There was this really interesting in 2000, <laughs> the end of 2009, some stuff had already happened that was very positive. I had trained an Olympic water polo team to a very successful silver medal at the 2008 Beijing Olympics, largely based in extension work, hip work, strengthening the body, not just lifting weights. That was a nice success, and those guys really helped me with some testimonials and things. So that was like the inertia that helped me build foundation training. But at that stage, I still only had a few exercises, and I still needed to really test my theories, and I, feel I needed to learn what I was doing. I just had an idea. So <laughs> I somehow got in touch with Lance Armstrong through this series of events. My partner at the time that I had just partnered up with, like maybe two months prior, at the very, very end of 2008 was a guy named Peter Park. We hadn't even had the name foundation yet. I taught him everything I knew about the body stuff. He loved it. He's one of the best trainers in the world. And to have his endorsement was really valuable to me. And we went and we saw Lance's agent in Austin, Texas, this guy, Bill Stapleton, who was incredibly nice to take the time and just like offer advice. And he said, here's what you got to do. You got to learn how to teach. You got to figure out how to teach this work to people because it's, it's interesting. And I showed him the work and he felt really good. He loved it. So we came back to Santa Barbara and I just started teaching everybody that I could. And I started offering free public classes. And I can say with certainty that the only reason that I have a successful movement-based health business now is that for the first two or three years, I did everything for free. I did donation-based classes, but sometimes people would pay, sometimes they wouldn't. You know, you don't, you don't go very far making $30 a day a couple times a week. It's not for the money that you do these things. But those first few years teaching free classes taught me what foundation training was through a series of trial and error in my own body and in the wonderful people of Santa Barbara that let me practice with them. A lot of people have spine injuries. A lot of people have hip injuries. And if you can offer them a little bit of help, they'll tell their friends. And that word of mouth, free class, donation-based donation class model that I followed blindly with absolute faith and with a feeling of abundance of information, like I know I can come up with more. If somebody steals this from me, I can come up with more. I'm not worried about protecting it yet. I'm just worrying about showing it to people and figuring it out. 
and that was it. That's foundation training. And everything else after those free classes was so easy because I had hundreds of bodies to play with and I had hundreds of people in pain get out of pain and I became a confident man. And as it turns out, that makes all the difference. <laughs> was there a moment at some point in there when you realized that this was going to be a lot bigger uh, than it was? And, and when you noticed that, if you noticed that, how did it change uh, your idea as far as purpose and, and your decision-making for what you were building? I think, that I, I think that when I got better, I knew it was going to be real. I didn't know how big it was going to be. And it's, it's not huge, but it's, it's, it's getting huge. Um, I never expected to have like a level of notoriety within my field but I expected to have a level of respect within my field because I really trust myself and my education. And at first I didn't really believe I was going to have that notoriety or that respect because I was in so much pain in coming out of school. But within a couple of years of, of really maintaining my own methods of getting myself out of pain and staying out of pain, and then seeing a handful of people, including an Olympic team, have the same response or a very similar response, I knew I was onto something. When I, when I met Peter and he opened up his uh, crazy Rolodex of clients in LA and Malibu and Beverly Hills and every one of them fell in love with the work. I knew that we were onto something huge and then it inspired me to get deeper and deeper and deeper in the work and to really devote myself to improve upon it. So I don't know that there was a shift in my mentality or my goals or anything like that but the shift was in my desire to create something that was unique and special and was able to stand out among other special things and that's that I, I feel like this is that book you just read that true to form book man that's at 35 years old that's as masterpiece as I've got that's the closest thing you're going to see to what I truly deeply believe can help most people. And I mean like nine out of 10 people, not 10 out of 10, but nine out of 10, because we all follow this breakdown pattern that needs to be corrected. Um, let's talk about that. I think that's a good segue into the breakdown pattern uh, that what you're seeing uh, as far as the commonalities between people that you're training. Um, maybe you can go into that for a little while. And it's, what's crazy is this is not age-dependent, and it's not activity-dependent or hobby-dependent or even weight or health-dependent. This is being a human being in the 21st century. Our shoulders sort of start to fall inward and, and downward towards the center of our chest, and as a result, under the weight of the shoulders, the muscles that surround our upper chest learn to live in a very shortened position. It's an internally rotated convergent position towards the center of our chest, the center of our breastbone. The result is that our head falls forward and is literally pulled forward by those adaptively shortened muscles at the front of the chest and neck. Those adaptively shortened muscles act as a weight on the shoulders and a weight on the head that pulls it forward and pulls them forward as if we're wearing our upper torso like a jacket over us. That's the first adaptation that occurs is the internal rotation and convergence of the upper limbs. Under the weight of the torso from being sat on so often or even just resting in sneakers or in high heels or whatever, our hips sort of tuck under us and the result of that is not 
a lengthening and shortening problem, but a rotational problem. The top of the femurs, the, the leg bones, the hip bones, rotate away from each other. Like your eye, you know, if you think of the shoulders going cross-eyed, the hips go the opposite. The eyes move away from each other. The, the front of them rotates outward. And that shortens a lot of the muscles that support our hips and remind our hips of their natural movement pattern, which is gigantic and powerful. So the external rotation of the pelvis really shortens the muscles that stabilize that very same pelvis. And as a result, our torso sort of continuously falls between the legs a little bit. Our chest goes a little further and puts pressure onto our belly and our abdomen. Our head falls a little bit forward and puts pressure at the back of our neck that actually does a lot, like a lot. There's nerves and, and blood vessels back there that are so important. They are like the, the dictators of our homeostasis, the cranial nerves in particular that go right where your skull meets your neck. And when your little nose goes forward and the back of your neck gets tight, you're putting pressure on those blood vessels and those nerves. So those are the biggies. Those are like the real major biggies that we got to correct are the internal rotation of the shoulders, the anterior head carriage of the head, and the external rotation of the hips. What are symptoms from those post posture changes? Okay. The most common first initial symptoms are going to be headaches and lower back pain and plantar fasciitis. And if you think of it, what that does is that's one symptom at the top of the body, one symptom at the, at the center of the body, and one symptom at the bottom of the body. That should initially sort of be enough to let us consider that there is this web of tension. Some people will feel it at the bottom. Some people will feel it in the middle. Some people will feel it at the top. Those are the three most common symptoms. After you've had these, these degenerative patterns for a little bit longer, we start to see things like carpal tunnel syndrome. We start to see things like shallow breathing, headaches a little bit more common, even digestive issues because of the downward compression of literally the rib cage on top of the visceral tissue, just resting upon it day in and day out. And then we add, you know, so many people go to the gym or ride a bicycle and put weight on top of that. And you're not really fixing the patterns before you add weight. That's a problem. The first symptoms we see, headaches, back pain, plantar fasciitis. The next symptoms we see, carpal tunnel syndrome, numbness in the fingers, uh, shin splints, um, numbness in the toes, uh, what's called foot drop, um, TMJ syndrome where the jaw becomes chronically tight or tired or, or grindy on one side. All of these are symptoms of posture gone awry in a lot of cases. You know, it's not, obviously there's, there's other things that can go wrong and cause those exact same symptoms. But I just got to be honest, in most people that I see, it's, it's their own doing, and it also is their own undoing. Um, all right, so now you've been teaching foundation training for the better part of seven or eight years. And we first worked together, you know, going back a ways, and I know that the, the practice has evolved it's gotten better. I like all the new poses much more than I like the old pose. They're based on the same ideals, uh, but they're more. Um, what's the correct word here, Eric? They're 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 deeper. There's a deeper understanding. They're better. Of they're better. Just, yeah, there you go. Just they're say better. it straight up. They're better. <laughs> what what is your process? What what is your process for the evolution of foundation training, testing new postures and exercises? How's that going? It used to be very isolated, where I did everything myself. 
And if you want to look at the stuff that I did all myself, you're going to see that first book. And you're going to see like the initial decompression, breathing, and anchoring process. But then when you look at the newer materials, you're going to see that I started paying attention to a few very specific people and started watching what they did, admiring what they did, really like legitimately admiring what they did. One of these guys in particular that I've actually never talked about on a podcast uh, who has gained incredible notoriety over the last several years is a guy named Ido Portal out of, uh, I think, Israel. And we have a couple mutual friends. So I started paying attention to his stuff and I was blown away at how strong, not, uh, I'm not, I'm impressed with Ido, but I'm most impressed with his students because so with this guy. For some backstory sorry, here, Ido Portal is the movement coach that coached Conor McGregor. Is that correct? He, yeah, that was one of his clients, but I don't think that's what he should be known for. He should be okay. known for how much he studied. Okay. He's one of the smartest guys in that whole community, like based on experience. He really is. Well, that's I've how talked I know to a lot name. of people about him. And I just, what I noticed is that he was able to have a movement capacity in people that I had never seen before in adults. I'd seen it in kids. I'd seen it in gymnasts. I'd seen it in martial artists. But I had never seen it in everyday adults. And I was starting to see it in people very regularly. He advances movement, whereas I give people a proper entry point to advance their movement. What I noticed in Ido Portal's work was that, to long story short, it, the anterior chain is incredibly important and it needs to be used very specifically. So what you'll start seeing in some of my work, like you read in True to Form, is an even heavier emphasis on this expansion of the back of the rib cage, which has, to the naked ear, absolutely nothing to do with the abdomen, but to the trained biome biomechanics person, inflating the posterior rib cage with a lift of the ribs is basically the best possible way to create an accurate abdominal contraction. And you'll see that in exercises of mine, like the eight point plank and uh, prone decompression. And those exercises are my exercises. I came up with them and I did the trial and error and I figured out the leverage points. But let me assure you that I was inspired to do that by watching people that were much fitter and much stronger than I am. And I had taken myself as far as I could go with my knowledge of the body. And just by watching people that are stronger than me, you can, you can really see what needs to be what needs to be added. I wasn't hitting the anterior chain often enough. I wasn't expanding the lats properly in people, not quite. And by watching some of these guys, even like guys like Kelly Sturette, what he does, watching Katie Bowman, uh, watching Peter Park when he trains people, I learn. And I love learning and I, I love watching these things. And I think that what's happening in my work is it's representing the action of going from a straight up teacher, this is what I know, this is what I'm teaching, to teacher slash student that is sort of, I'm sort of reporting my findings now. I think that's what I would say is the change. And the exercises are better because there's more to them. All right. So one thing that I really wish existed and that I talk about a good bit is I wish that there was the ability to see the world through other people's eyes. So and to understand, to have the innate understanding that they have in their situations and their, and their areas of expertise. So Kelly Slater dropping into a wave at Pipeline, mm. Steph Curry coming up the court, because you know mm. that there's so much more going on than, than I see when I look at it or, or the normal person sees. I would like you to walk us through what you see when you watch people walking around and just observe their movement. What do you see when you look at someone who maybe you, you notice has a chronic issue? 
I've gotten I've gotten a lot better at looking at what I call the lagging strand of movement in people. In chemistry, the lagging strand is basically such that in any chemical reaction, there is going to be this one piece of the puzzle that is going to be slower than all of the other chemical reactions occurring. And that reaction is going to dictate the overall speed of all of the reactions. And the same is true in the body, in a sense. We have this web of tissue. We have these cells that communicate. We have all of these vital processes happening, you know, sort of simultaneously. And each of them has its own system. And each of those systems reports and gets messages from this primary holistic system that is the human body. When I look at people moving, I'm sorry, moving, you know, when I look at their movement, that's only one piece of the puzzle, but it's a big piece. And what I can see is I can see a right foot turning out a little bit more. I can see that each time this person takes a step forward, they use, you know, 70, 80% of the outside of their foot and almost none of the inside of their foot. I can see when a person's walking down the street, if their elbows are bending when their arms swing, basically stopping their shoulders from moving, just allowing the forearms and hands to move versus whether or not the shoulders are moving. Because when the shoulders move, the spine acts a lot more like an axis. When the elbows move, the spine acts a lot more like an inhibitor. If it's just, I'm sorry, if the forearms move, like think of how many people you see walking where there's just, it's a rigid process. Their legs are moving in a very specific pattern, usually a little bit more to the right, a little bit less to the left, or vice versa. Their shoulders or arms are moving in a very specific pattern. And if you watch them, it's almost like they're a robot. What you're seeing is a series of lagging strands. You're seeing a, uh, rotations at the spine, rotations at the shoulders, rotations at the hips that are not corrected and probably not understood. So what I see in these people is an opportunity to help them understand their body because you can never get mad at somebody for what they don't know. But you can get mad at yourself if you let somebody keep not knowing when you have information that could help them very easily. So that's, that's the way I've started to view the world is at times, a lot of times, it's a really wonderful opportunity anywhere you go to interact with somebody in a very kind and compassionate way with the intent of helping them simply. But you can't be too modest because it's bullshit if you don't go and help them. If you know something, it's a very humble thing to walk up and try to present yourself in a way that will allow the person that you're talking to to receive what you have for them. And if there's one perspective that has remained steady but also changed, you know, the, the perspective is steady. I always watch people. I always watch bodies. But what's changed within it over time is the ability to recognize that it's not my job to figure out what's wrong with them. It's my job to help that person figure out what's wrong with them. And that's a huge perspective shift because it's made me like really comfortable looking at people now because I feel that when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to tell them what I see. And it's kind of cool. How often do you do that? How often do you approach every day, every day you approach someone that you don't know and help them? I, I, I try to. It doesn't always work, but... I've gotten some pretty cool emails because <laughs> nobody knows who I am. And then like I help them and I just say, hey, go check out this stuff called foundation training. I usually don't tell them that, I, that it's my work or that I'm part of this team that puts it out to the public. But I just say, hey, there's a lot of free videos on there. And 
you know, I, if they have expressed that it helped them right then in the 30 seconds or 60 seconds that I stood with them, then I really hope that they'll go and check it out. And most times they do. And I've probably, I mean, I've put, I've had people come through my certification program. You know, they pay me $2,500 to come through a four day certification because I met them on the street in some random city and got them. And they haven't felt back pain since then or foot pain or neck pain since then because they've been practicing. And, you know, that's, you want grassroots, man. It's as grassroots as it gets. You know, I don't even know how many people I've turned on to it. I mean, since you helped me, anytime I hear someone complain about back problems, I'm like, let me show you this. And then I send them one of your videos. The 12-minute video is incredible. I've got probably 10 or 15 people down here doing it and loving it. Um, all right. You've worn a lot of hats over the last, you know, the creation of foundation training. You've been an innovator, a business owner, you're a personality, you're a teacher. What do you take the most pleasure from? Surfing. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I know all of it. I love all the hats. What's the most difficult for you? I love all the hats. I love the idea that, you know, if you're lucky enough to start a business and, and see it come to fruition and even build upon it and improve upon it and bring people in, then you get the opportunity to, to play a lot of roles within it. Uh, there is one role that I am very intently backing myself out of. And if you look at any of our work that's starting to come out with foundation training, it's going to be a lot harder to see me in it because the one part of this that I really didn't like and, and honestly don't like is the personality part of it because it people start getting better without getting better because they think they're supposed to. And I've already experienced that with a few people and I didn't like it. And it felt very ingenuine and very superficial and, and they were there for the wrong reasons. And I was, that means that meant I was there for the wrong reasons. And it might not make sense to a lot of people, but man, it makes a hell of a lot of sense to me to really make this work about foundation training and about the patient and about the person using it. So all of our new work has a lot of our instructors teaching and uh, a lot of different models and, even in the book, you see, I'm not modeling. I'm, I mean, you, I got an author photo in there, and that's about it. And that was the part. That was the hat that I didn't like. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I'll start liking it one day. But I'm an introvert at heart. I love doing podcasts. I like talking to people that I already know. I like doing that kind of stuff. But when you're starting to get asked to do book signings, when you're starting to get asked to do corporate gigs, and they'll pay you a lot of money, man. It's crazy what they'll pay you. But it's not the right situation. It takes you away from what you love. It takes me away from what I love, which is teaching a really proper audience that really has pain and wants to do this and wants to get better. And when I'm not doing that, I want to be surfing. I want to be hanging out with my girlfriend. I want to be seeing my friends. And I want to, I want to be surfing. And, and the personality part of foundation training is the only thing that I really feel takes me away from the things that I love. So, yeah, all the other hats are awesome, though. Last week we had, I've got, I have two kids, seven and nine years old, they're beautiful little monsters. And last <laughs> week they had their doctor's appointments and we were seeing their, their pediatrician and, you know, they look at the kids' backs and they make sure that everything's looking good and everything's fine. And the pediatrician commented that he's seeing a lot of back issues in younger children now, nine, 12 years old, because of cell phone use. Is that something that you're seeing? Is that something, what do you see as far as um, foundation training as it pertains to children? 
it's something we work on a lot. We have two programs that we're working very, very specifically on for children. One of them is for parents with new children. So the first year of life, there are four quarters of that first year that we separated into. And my wonderful, sweet, kind girlfriend, Jen, who is a very talented uh, pediatric physical therapist who has a specialty in first year of life, early intervention, is writing a book with HarperCollins, who just published my last one, that is based in this idea that little bodies become big bodies. And it is up to the parent initially, that first year of life, the parents can use the children to make themselves stronger, which is wonderful. But most importantly, they can really help position the child and do different massage techniques and different lengthening and sort of uh, positional mimicry type things, type techniques that really do work and really do help build a bond between the baby and the parent and also help the, the baby get these early proprioceptive signals in action. The baby starts to sense itself in space before it even realizes that it's sensing itself in space and how it's crawling, how it's holding itself, how it's rolling over, how it's looking to the right, to the left, up, down. You can't teach a baby how to do that, but you can position them and then challenge them within those positions. So that's, that's answer one, is there is a portion of that that is absolutely a parental responsibility. Once we get to like age six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we start being able to, A, see the changes that you're talking about, Eric, which is that the spine very early on starts to absorb its own weight. The hips should absorb the weight of the torso primarily, while the torso stays strong and long and broad. And what cell phones and computers do is they make our, they, they follow that internal rotation pattern of the shoulders. It makes our torso sort of converge in on itself, like we're always sitting against a backrest, our head's always forward. Our rib cage is always tremendously closer to the pelvis than it should be. So what we do is we start teaching kids to mimic parents doing exercises. We don't show them these detailed foundation training poses. We teach them how to brush their teeth with a little bit of a hip hinge and keep their chest tall. We teach them how to, you know, walk the dog while keeping their chest tall. We teach them how to sit and look at their phone with their elbows just a little bit closer to each other so that their shoulders learn to pull apart. In fact, I invite everybody listening to this right now. Put your hand, you know, use your hands, grab your phone in front of you with your elbows wide, feel how far your chest can cave in and now push your elbows a little closer together and lift your chest a quarter inch. And all of a sudden you've alleviated a lot of that external rotation issue at the shoulders. And it's little things like that that we teach kids because it's really not until they're 10, 11, 12 13, 14 years old, that they're willing to accept learning an exercise as opposed to just learning an activity in a way that's done slightly better. I just realized I didn't really answer the, the what breakdown happens with kids, but it's the same breakdown. It's the same that happens in adults. It's just their bodies are a little bit more plastic and a little bit more malleable, so it happens faster and uglier, honestly. Like, to see this, like, powerful, young, growing, vibrant kid slowly collapsing into themselves. It's a sad pose. I don't like seeing it. It's not the way kids are supposed to look. Well, I've started incorporating some foundation training with uh, my kids. And, and at times they'll do it with me. Sometimes they resist a little bit, but sometimes they do it. They, they've both taken a huge liking to surfing in the last six months, which is amazing. And I frame everything 
especially foundation training as it'll because it will it'll help them be better in the water and so they're receptive to it through that through that avenue which is beautiful you know i knew i was doing the right thing when the surfing community got behind it because i feel like my karmic reward in this lifetime is that my favorite sport loves my work like that community fell in love with foundation training and that's that's it i don't need anything else i don't need any other measure of success i'm happy that was awesome well, it's massively no, it's, important for surfing because surfing is so notoriously terrible for your back mm-hmm. and posture. Yeah, fluidity, you know, every position you get into on a surfboard is within the healthy range of motion of all the joints in the body. It's that if you don't undo some of those rotations and some of those movements, they become unhealthy over time. I've got a couple quotes from your book that I thought were interesting that I thought I'd I'd read here and then let you expand on them a little bit. Oh, okay. they were profound. Um, Chronic illnesses, however, by nature produce symptoms, each of which is but a fragmentary message. Putting together the fragments to see the whole picture of causation requires just such whole body system approach. That's such a confusing quote. But it's, it's a good quote. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually a really simple quote. Um, but we wrote this book in a way to, I, I'm trying to speak to two audiences simultaneously. So if you look just before or just after that quote will be the sim- a similar statement broken down into a slightly easier way of understanding it. But what that statement is basically saying is that what symptoms give you is a message. And that message is not necessarily coming from the place in which you feel the symptoms. In fact, very likely, I mean, very, very, very likely that symptom is coming from somewhere totally different. And it is one of several symptoms that are trying to express themselves, yet you might not be able to hear them all yet or feel them all yet. Most pain, if that's the symptom, or numbness, or tingling, or lightheadedness, or imbalance, or vertigo, or jaw grinding, even sometimes vision issues, can be pulled back at least somewhat, can be maintained at least somewhat through healthier movement. Because what healthier movement does is it takes that symptom and it sort of cleans up the area around the whole body. It it cleans up the spine a little bit. It creates a little space when you breathe the right way, when you move the right way. It creates a little bit of movement. And there's this really simple idea that I also discuss in the book. Mechanoreception can block nociception. Mechanoreception is a fancy word for movement receptors. Nociception is an even fancier word for pain receptors. So movement can block pain when it comes to sensation in the body. Those symptoms we feel are so often a process of stagnation and lack of motion. But the whole basis of that quote is very simple. The body is not a fragmented system, even though it has fragments. It is a series of systems that work holistically together, feed each other, support each other. When they're not working well, they inhibit one another. And that's what we have to find is where is the symptom coming from? What's the rationale that the body has for expressing this sensation? And the second quote for you is, movement causes us pain and pain distorts movement. As astute as you are in knowing how the body should move and work, how do you feel when you see someone compromised in their movement? Is that, is that a difficult thing for you to watch someone in, in, in terrible pain? I have 
And I'd, I probably wouldn't have admitted this a couple of years ago, but now I absolutely do because I think it's a really cool thing. I think, it's, I think it shows me how powerful I believe my work is because when I see somebody that's in really legitimate pain, when I see that 80-year-old man or woman walking down the street and they're looking at their feet because they cannot stand up, that shit almost brings me to tears. Sometimes it does bring me to tears because I've gotten to feel, I've gotten to feel my way out of what could easily become that lifestyle. And a lot of people that I've met have gotten to understand their body in such a way that that will never happen to them. And when I see that person that has gone their whole life without receiving that information, or maybe they received it and it wasn't the right information, maybe they tried as hard as they could, but they weren't trying the right stuff. This could have been a person that exercised every day, but they were riding a bicycle. They were walking on a treadmill. They were using an elliptical. They were doing bicep curls and chest presses. And they were working their body further into its pattern instead of further out of it. And damn it, that makes me sad because I've based my whole life around getting people out of those patterns. And when I see somebody that I just can't help, they're too far gone, it tugs at my heart really hard. Well, you've helped a lot of people, and I'm one of those. I remember it was the second time that I got to train with you. So our common uh, geography here, how Eric and I get to hang out, is that I live in Costa Rica, Nosara, Costa Rica, and Eric vacations here pretty much every year at this point. And yeah. I learned foundation training, and it helped me massively. But it was the second year when you came down, or the third year, when you taught me decompression breathing. And we were upstairs in my rancho at my old house, and I was doing decompression breathing. And so I have uh, a spondylolisthesis, I have a pars vertebrae issue, and a, a slipped vertebrae. And I would go through a stretch once or twice a year where I knew it was out, and I'd have to see a chiropractor. And where I live, I'm four hours from a city, and uh, I mean, it's terrible. So I'd go a month, month and a half, two months without being able to see a chiropractor to get it put back in and just try to deal with the, with the pain. And Eric's teaching me this decompression breathing based on the foundation training. So you're in a founder, which is one of the exercises, and then you're, you're breathing and extending as much as you possibly can. And my vertebrae, it, it popped, and, and I adjusted myself for the first time. And since that time, I've only had to see chiropractors maybe once or twice, and I can now kind of self-correct. I can feel when when something massive is coming my way and through two or three or four days of more intense than normal foundation training, I can work myself out of that. And so this is something that's very real and very important to me in my life that's helped me spend much more time in the water than I would have otherwise. So I'm incredibly thankful to Eric. And I hope that anyone out there who does have a back issue will give this a chance because I would say eight out of nine, nine out of 10 folks that I have shared it with have become big fans of Eric uh, and of the work of a foundation training. So thank you very much, Eric. I really appreciate it. It is, you know, it's a huge pleasure. And I, I, I love teaching, man. I can't believe I get to do this for a living. And, I, and I've made so many friends along the way that <clears throat> I think I might have been friends with otherwise. I, I, you and I get along great in lots of other avenues, come from similar places, we're right around the same age. But what I've noticed is that my currency in this world is foundation training. And that currency has, has allowed me to develop really deep friendships with people because it's based on mutual respect. It's based on, you know, while I help your back, you help my soul. That's how I feel about every patient I've ever had. 
you help me feel better about myself by doing this work because I, I don't wish I don't wish the five or so years between my second and third, I'm sorry, my last two years of chiropractic school and then the three subsequent years after that. I don't wish that anger, frustration, jealousy, envy, and just frustra- frustration is the right word. I don't wish that on anybody. So every time I get somebody better with this work or anytime somebody gets better with this work, it's just like it's another little coin in the soul bank and it makes me feel really good about what I'm doing in the world. So you're the man. I appreciate it. Man, well, Eric, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. I'll, I'll throw in links uh, to everything that we talked yeah. about today, uh, where folks can get your book. And I truly appreciate it. We talked about something briefly that I'm going to bring up real quick. Okay. okay. Uh, a it. retreat in Costa Rica. Oh, a yeah. A little surfing this and is... foundation training retreat. Yeah, definitely. I really want to do that. So I'll put the, before you even do it, I'm going to put it out there to your audience. Whoever's listening, it's not going to be many of you because not the right way to do it, but a handful of you. If you're into the idea, you want to come out to Nosara, you want to spend a week or so learning really in-depth foundation training and surfing as much as possible, probably, probably doing a lot of stand-up paddleboarding as well with Eric, uh, let Eric know when you'd want to do that. Maybe between he and I, we can figure out a, a good time in 2017 to make that happen and to do a really cool retreat out there. Yeah, and, and that's something that I should mention here too. A big part of the next series of shows that I'll be doing are going to be talking to incredible people like Eric and then putting together um, kind of immersion weeks based on based on the training, based on the learning. And so with Eric, we'll be able to really dive incredibly deep into foundation training while also basing the week around adventure in the water so it's going to be a blast and we'll definitely set that up 2017 and in the show notes uh in in on on the the website you'll be able to um you'll be able to see uh probably probably an email sign up form there so we can get a list of of folks and it'll be small it'll be probably six to eight people because that will be more fun for for the whole for the whole week so yeah, I like that. That'll be a great time. I look forward to doing that. Excellent. Eric, thank you so much for being a part of this. I truly appreciate it. And hopefully I'll see you and we'll share waves soon. Yeah, man. I look forward to it. And thanks so much for, for supporting Foundation Training. It really does mean the world to me. And everybody else, thanks for listening. It's the Paddle Podcast.